It's Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. Thanks for joining us. Dr. Stuart Fishbein is here. I'm Brian Whitman. Subscribe on iTunes to Dr. Stu's Podcast. Five stars and a nice review. That's all we ask. It's not a lot. Randy Wang is here, of course, too. Hey, now. And Dr. Stu, we have a special guest on this very exciting edition of Dr. Stu's Podcast. We do, Brian. I'm going to let you introduce her in just a second. I just wanted to tell you, though, that you know when we don't have a podcast because someone's sick or there's an interview or something, I really miss you guys. See, I knew you did. I do. I knew that. I miss my Tuesdays with you guys. It's... uh, it's a highlight. It's really a highlight, uh, second only to the Los Angeles Kings game. So. Yeah, oh, well, oh, you know what? I can take that. I can take it back. <laughs> right, so today is just a really good day because not only are we doing podcasts today, but there's a Los Angeles Kings game. Tonight. Oh, win-win. Tonight, and Dr. Stu just got a uh, text from your son, right, who's <laughs> bailing on you back. He down? might be bailing, yeah. He's got a test on Friday, and you know, it looks and he's got priorities. And I told him, as long as it's preseason, you got your priorities okay. But once the regular season starts... Your priorities are all backwards. Right. Enough hockey of this, before school. Right. Yeah. None of this studying nonsense. No, it's ridiculous. Right. We're going for the cup. Right. Right. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. So tell us. So tell us. Uh, I'm really pleased to have our guest today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce her? Yes, Doctor Stu likes for me to say the tricky names. If the names are easy, wise. Yeah, very very yeah, wise. There you go. He just kind of sort of passes it off to me. Adiola Adeshian is here. Did I do all right? Pretty good. Pretty good. Say it. Say How it. would you say it? Adeshian. Adeshian. A little. Uh, what do they call those things you put over the vowels? A little uh, umlau, a little tilde. Yeah. Oh, wow. A what? Wow. A tilde. That's what it's called, right? Maybe she doesn't it, have one of those though. It's over one of the vowels, I think. Adesion. No. Well, no. am I now? I'm overdoing it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Welcome Good to Doctor Stu's podcast. And this has been you. this has Thank been Doctor Stu's podcast. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun with names on Doctor Stu's podcast. Yeah. It's great to have you. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. It's it's an honor to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, listen. Adiola is an attorney for the California uh, Families for Access to Midwives. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. CFAM, we call it. And uh, there's been, although this is a you know a show that's listened to all over the all over the world actually, um, this is uh, what's something that's going, we're going to discuss something today that's going on in California called Assembly Bill 1308, and uh, because what goes on in California does have uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, absolutely. Well, it has effects, repercussions. Repercussions. Absolutely. That's absolutely. the word I'm looking for. Sort of for. a ripple effect, and and folks, of course, pay attention to what's happening here in California. You're also a mom. You have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Now, who's the boy and who's the girl? The five is the boy? Or the the five is the girl, and she's actually almost five, and she always corrects me about that. She won't be she five until the 30th. But she <laughs> wants to be five, right? She, she wants to be five. No, right? she wants to be she less She wants to be five, five, but not prematurely. She oh. wants to be five on September 30th. Isn't that nice that she's got it all? Uh, you know, she, she has it all figured out. Yeah, she's it's genetic. It's girl. genetic in women. They always they don't want to be older than they really are. <laughs> <laughs> now, you guys have had, uh, here in California, you are very very busy, Adiola, lobbying and working for really what they're describing in the media, sort of landmark legislation about, uh, uh, well, with regard to home birthing and midwives. And tell us all about what you're working on. So the organization that I am a part of, I'm uh, the, the president of the organization, California Families for Access to Midwives. We've been working in conjunction with the California Association of Midwives um, on legislation that's going to affect uh, midwifery going forward in our state. Um, right now and for the past 20 years, it's been the case that licensed midwives have been legally required to have physician supervision to practice. But for a variety of reasons, uh, midwives have been having a lot of difficulty getting physicians to supervise them. One of the reasons, of course, which Dr. Stu can talk about, is malpractice liability insurance um, and restrictions that are placed on uh, physicians to 
prohibiting them from working with midwives in a lot of cases so or increasing their rate so much that it's impossible. Right, it becomes prohibitive to do it. Dr. Stu, is it the law in California right now that a midwife has to have a physician there? If there's, I, I, am I understanding not, the law correctly? No, supervision is not to be confused with having the physician present at the birth. Supervision is, means that they have to have a collaborative relationship with a physician that they can refer to or call or have a question for. The problem, of course, has always been that there's been misunderstandings between physicians and midwives there's been a propagation of uh, rumors and uh, negative uh, information that gets out there that makes doctors afraid to deal with midwives most doctors if you ask them about midwives don't actually know what midwives do or how they're trained and so there's this ignorance out there that that leads to fear because whenever you have ignorance you, you know, fear can creep its way in and so doctors are sort of afraid to be involved with midwives and then what happens is is the organized medicine which Adiola will speak about in a minute in a minute you know sort of influences the way insurance companies work and so insurance companies take their cue from uh, organized medicine and say oh midwives are dangerous so if doctors are going to back midwives they're going to have to jack up their malpractice premiums and a doctor who's backing midwives isn't going to make a significant amount of money from that so they why would they pay extra to do that and help me understand this Adiola as it is uh, the the legislation that you're working uh, toward and Dr. Stu you support this legislation I certainly get the impression yeah for the most part I, I do there are certain things that we'll get to later than, in the conversation that that are questionable that a lot of midwives have questions about and are have reservations about which which I understand where they're coming from it's as sort of a, the lesser of two evils sometimes. as a layperson I'm hearing sort of the legislation would extract the physician from the midwife well, for, for well, so so physician supervision is basically a legal relationship between a midwife and a physician on paper so that the, the physician is liable for, to some extent, anything that the midwife does. And that is sort of what creates the reluctance on the part of physicians, on the part of many physicians to enter into that legal relationship, aside from the malpractice insurance liability issues. But despite that as we know that even for moms who are being cared for out of the hospital and moms who are working with midwives for their care there are some circumstances in which physician involvement is appropriate and necessary and so what we've been having on the ground for the past two decades is that midwives collaborate and consult and have backup with physicians but not an official formal legal relationship so what the law is going to do is get rid of the physician supervision requirement and allow midwives to freely consult with physicians as appropriate. So is this sort of an effort, forgive me, just to say bluntly, to sort of relieve the physician of any liability? That would be correct. Yeah. I think that's a really yes. good way of assessing it. Uh, to also allow like midwives who work in counties or areas of the state that don't have any supportive uh, doctors to continue to practice. I mean, it really is silly to have a law in the books that say midwives have to have physician supervision, but the same law does not say physicians have to supervise midwives. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the midwives are caught between practicing their trade and being illegal. And so this bill is going to, hopefully if signed by the governor, is going to then remove that burden. And there are cases in the state and other states where midwives are actually being prosecuted for simply not having a supervising physician. No bad outcomes, no problems, just violation of a, a law that can't really be enforced. As I listen to you sort of articulating this, a question comes to me, Dr. Stu, why would the doctor, you're the physician, Adiola, you're the, you, you're representing midwives, basically, you're an attorney sort of working. Midwives and families. Okay. Uh, Dr. Stu, it's, it's sort of this legislation, if it was passed, sort of undermines the physician. It may, am I saying it? That's sort of what I'm hearing. It If it takes the no, it doesn't undermine physicians at all. What it does is it is it gives women of California choice. It gives them the choice to use midwifery or use physicians or both. Um, they're, they're free to choose. But don't they have that right now, Adiola? 
Well, to, so, to choose one of the two. Well, to the point about um, undermining physicians, it, what it really does is free physicians up to have the type of relationships with midwives that they're already having, without fear of the the relationship being misconstrued as a supervisory relationship, mm-hmm. which is what the fear is, and that that's what they don't want. So it sort of creates more opportunities for collaboration between midwives and physicians. Because as you yeah. know, as you know, I mean, Eddie is an attorney, not that kind of attorney, but she's an attorney, and you know that the, in the uh, trial lawyers. If there's a deep pocket anywhere, used to be. A deep pocket. <laughs> she was that kind of attorney. <laughs> well, well, I've seen the light. <laughs> well, they're going to go after any deep pocket that's connected. So if somebody has a supervisory role, had nothing to do with this case, but but she's a supervisor of a midwife who happens to have a bad outcome that may or may not be negligent, doesn't require negligence to sue somebody in the state in, in the United States right now. But that that. Uh, this relieves them from actually being having their million dollar policy sucked in. The critics, people who are critical, obviously we've talked a lot about home birthing. You had your two babies at home, I Adiel. Did. I uh, did. The people who are critical of it, or the or the other side of it, and it really has become sort of a political issue. It's a very hot button issue. People have, uh, in a lot of cases, very definitive feelings or attitudes toward the idea of home birthing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess one of the fears is from people who are sort of against it. People say, I would never do that, or people who don't prefer it, they say, well, you know, I want to be at the hospital if something, you know, happens. And then people might hear this and they might, oh, well, now they want to kind of um, relieve the physician of his or her liability involved in the birth. Would, would people on the other side sort of be right to glean from this that there is sort of a continuing effort to sort of um, change, sort of ex- extract the medical establishment from births is am i am i overstating it well i think that what what we're trying to do is to create a more modern and more integrated uh maternity care system that's respectful of women's choice to have their baby in in a variety of settings to have their baby with a variety of health care providers um and to create a more cost-effective maternity care system because what we have right now is a system in which we throw technology at birth and it's even though what's sort of generally said to the public is that it's for safety reasons the reality is that Fear of malpractice liability is a huge factor in why birth is so medicalized. And so integrating and incorporating midwives more effectively into the maternity care system actually creates for safer and more positive outcomes, particularly for women who don't have some of the abnormalities or illnesses or conditions that for which a physician involvement is appropriate. I saw Dr. Stu nodding affirmatively a moment ago. Yeah, well, I I just think that it's that. You know, we've talked about this a million. I mean, this is the theme of my podcast for the most part is that uh, birth is not an illness or pregnancy is not an illness. And most of the time, pregnancy goes really well. The problem is, is that medical doctors are trained to treat pregnancy as an illness and they treat it with over, they over technology, they, they overuse technology. Yeah. They, they interfere in a natural process, whereas midwives look at birth differently and midwives are highly trained in normal birth. So it just what this is hoping to do is is sort of uh, it bring midwifery into the realm of where they're treated as sort of colleagues, just you know just like chiropractors and orthopedists. Maybe they compete, maybe they don't compete. But a chiropractor doesn't need an orthopedist to be his supervisor. All right, chiropractors are, can practice independently. Acupuncturists can practice independently. They don't need a supervision. Midwives are highly trained to do what they do, mm. and to have them be you know, subject to supervision, which is so hard to get and so restrictive, just it was, was, you know, this was a, this bill didn't start out this way. Maybe Addie Ola can actually tell us how this whole legislative process began, because I found she spoke last night at the sanctuary 
Uh, we had an event where we had midwives come, and she spoke last night, and she spoke about how the process began and how the how it evolves and how a bill even gets sponsored. And I found that to be fascinating, so maybe we can get to that. And Adiola, for folks who are listening to the podcast who might want to follow along and do some research on the bill, what is what is the bill? What is the number of the bill? If, if, so the bill number is AB 1308. Okay, AB um, 1308 here in California. Here in California. It was authored by Assemblywoman Susan Bonilla from Concord. Um, and it passed unanimously through the Senate and the Assembly. So right now it's just waiting for Governor Brown's signature. So that's what I would assume he's expected. Uh, he, uh, from what I know about Governor Brown, who I like, who I voted for, sounds to me like he... Uh, I would, voted for him too. Yeah, see we have that. Dr. Stu, no? Uh, okay, okay, okay. Not so much. No, I don't <laughs> I think I voted for anyone who's won an election in, in uh, California in about before. thirty years <laughs> since I moved right. here. <laughs> but the governor would seem to—it would seem to me—he will sign this. I mean, it sounds like something that Governor Brown would support, right? Well, that is my hope. Um, we don't want to take anything for granted. Has he not spoken? Politics. Has he not spoken out about it? We have not heard anything, and there have been no public statements from him regarding the bill. Um, we reached out to him. We recognize that he has a lot of bills on his desk. Mm-hmm. I think he has over 500 bills on his desk at this point. Which and is a problem anyway. Which is a problem, um, and I think he has a staff of about nine people. So, you know, he he has a lot on his plate, and we don't have the expectation that, you know, as soon as we, we send him a letter, he's going to do a press release. Is but the political establishment, that he'll sign. political leaders, I mean, the, the movement here, Dr. Stu talks about it, Adiola obviously is involved in it as well. Uh, the, the movement, the, the community of, of people who, of the advocates of home birthing, is this politically sort of being recognized by the political establishment, I mean, not just here in California, but across the country? Are you finding that political leaders on the statewide level, on the very local level, on the national level as well, are they sort of accommodating of the idea of home birthing and legislation that would move forward the access to it? <laughs> Sorry. Is that a fair question? <laughs> yeah. Well, would I... Well, I, I, you go. You do, you go first, and I got. Then I'll ask. Okay. okay. I think. Uh, well, it, it varies across the board, nationwide. The, it, I mean, it's all over the place. Every state has a different thing that they do, and sort of different feelings on birth, on reproductive justice, on you know women's um, reproductive autonomy. It's you know it's a it's all over the place. Um, in dealing with our legislature, um, we felt that they've been really receptive to the information that we've shared with them just regarding the safety of out-of-hospital birth. And I want to highlight that um, in other country, in the countries that have the best birth outcomes for mothers and babies, unlike the United States, which relative to the amount of money we spend, our outcomes are abysmal. Yeah. Um, but in countries where they have the best outcomes, midwives are an important part of the maternity care system, and they provide the majority of care for healthy women. That is their area of expertise. Um, but in educating the legislature about this, one of the difficulties that we encounter is that only 1% of babies are born at home. And so they have been, just as we have been, indoctrinated with generations, really at this point, of fear around birth, um, of considering birth to be an illness, um, of over-medicalization of birth that's justified in the name of safety and gives everyone the feeling that that intervention was necessary to save the life without having the realization that some of the interventions contribute toward the things going wrong in the first place. And so because there's such a small population of midwives, I think there are about 300 midwives in our state. Uh, so few. So Relatively few. speaking, it's really Relatively not a lot. Relatively speaking, exactly. And so obviously the, the families who are being supported by midwives are also a small number. And so it's really about a, a lot of what we've done is about educating people because 
the care that midwives provide and what they do is such an important part of of an op- of any optimally functioning maternity care system it's really about the education most people when they have a true understanding of what midwives do without the bias and the you know the fear fear mongering that's out there they they support access to midwifery care so it's really about just that making people aware of what midwives do and the need for midwives yeah and my feeling is is that is that we talked about this last night is that you know the, what i call the medical industrial complex or the the big powerful medicine they, they're very well organized and they are an industrial lobby that lobbies for and they have money. physicians and they have money and they and they have access uh, as I learned last night from Adiola you know the American College of Physicians Gynecology has a lobbying organization that lobbies probably every state legislature they have uh, staff that they get very familiar with the legislators they know them all by first name basis. They know their staffers by first name basis. Very friendly so relationship. They can go in yeah. with you know when they're ninety nine percent of the births, and they can go in with their their statistics and 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 they lobby. And you know, I mean, I'm not going to call lobbyists uh, skewers of information or skewers of facts or liars, but they have a the vested interest in it, and they're going to push their interest. And midwives, being three hundred in the state of California, and they don't make much money. They don't have. Uh, anyone really speaking for them. Uh, Adiola's organization is a relatively new organization and they basically are working on a, on a really thin line of uh, funding and, and certainly we can talk about that at the end if people want to go to their website and, and donate to the CFAM, that would be fantastic. But it's worth pointing out when you articulate sort of the political, how the deck might be stacked against, uh, you know, with the lobbying power of the medical establishment. But you mentioned a moment ago, Adiola, that your bill, the assembly bill, passed unanimously in the legislature. So doesn't that fact sort of fly in the face of the case made by Dr. Sue a moment ago? Well, well, one of the reasons no? why this okay. is, no, it doesn't. One of the reasons why this is, you know, is being dubbed out there as landmark legislation is because this is actually um, a result of negotiations and coming to some sort of agreement with between the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the California Association of Midwives, who have been working with their pro bono lobbyists, are Paul Hastings, so I would just want to shout them out. Um, and then CFAM, we've sort of all been playing different roles in this entire process, but ACOG has been at the table, and while they were the ones that sponsored the bill. Mm. And so the initial versions of the bill were say not it. ideal yeah, say, say <laughs> and yeah. did not increase access to care for mothers and families and actually reinforced and set a timeline for requiring the medical board to implement and enforce the physician supervision requirement. So um, the California Association got really involved and became very integrated into the negotiation process with the American Congress, with ACOG, um, and CFAM got involved a little later as we're a relatively new organization. Um, but the author of the bill, thankfully, um, Assemblywoman Bonilla, um, one of the reasons why this bill has been able to be so successful is because she's a very savvy politician and she emphasized throughout the whole process that increasing access to care was important to her and that she wanted all of the parties involved to come together and work out some sort of a solution. So for that reason, the legislation was the end result of this legislation was never going to be the perfect ideal me the what. I want as a home birth mom, sure. But um, we've been able to craft something that overall increases access and makes access accessible for the overwhelming majority of of women in California. And so, what, so, yeah. So what you're saying is that if it wasn't for Assemblywoman Bonilla, the bill initially started out as a way to reinforce physician supervision. That was what the initial bill was sponsored by ACOG said. Yeah. But it was now evolved and. 
the problem with any legislation is that no one's really happy with the end result. And we ended up with a bill where we got rid of physician supervision, so to speak, but there's other things in the bill which a lot of midwives are saying maybe the poison we had isn't as bad as the poison we now have. Is the issue of uh, home birthing and sort of the movement, I mean, it sounds sort of that, I mean, I don't know if you guys, when you're advocating, if you frame it this way, but I guess the case could be made that really the choice to have an out-of-hospital birth, they say, say home birthing, but if it's not home, it's out of the hospital. Birth I guess center. Be, yeah, yeah, okay, the birth center, right. Mm-hmm. Uh I guess one of the ways to frame it is sort of a fundamental freedom issue, right, for for moms and families to have their babies where they want to have them. Is that the right way to say it? Yes. No, I absolutely agree. I think that um, that really is the core issue. And the absence of a recognition of that fundamental freedom for women permeates all aspects of the maternity care system. And it doesn't just apply to out-of-hospital birth. It applies to what we're seeing going on in the hospitals as well. And so there's a larger argument that needs to be made with respect to recognizing and honoring a woman's right as the ultimate decision maker and ultimate assessor of risk with respect to her own body and her own baby and her own care. Um, But that's a larger conversation that can't really be hashed out thoroughly in the context of midwifery legislation because midwifery legislation only affects such a relatively small portion of the population. I I wonder if, um, I'm I'm sure Dr. Stu and Adiola, you have seen in your work, probably you have seen moms or uh, couples really have an evolution from really being folks you said a moment ago who might be indoctrinated who really have it in their head that you know babies you have your baby at the hospital and they really bristle to put it mildly at the suggestion that you might have your baby at home when you see that shift from someone who sees it that way and then actually really does have their baby at home to what do you attribute that shift i mean what is it maybe dr Sue, is a good question for you what is that sort of fundamental what happens there? What's the message that a mom gets or, or a family gets when they go, you know what? Having the baby at home is something I would like to do. I mean, that really is, when you talk about sort of, you know, shifting, that's a really big decision to make. Well, I think, I think one of the major reasons that people shift, first of all, is that uh, there's been a lot of books out and Ricky Lake's film have, have made people aware that there are other options out there besides what's been indoctrinated. And then women women love to talk and they love to share yep. birth they love to share birth stories, and a lot of women hear tragic birth stories, and I don't mean tragic in that it was a bad outcome for mom or traumatic. baby. Traumatic. Traumatic. Yeah, traumatic would be a better word. Mom traumatic. goes through a lot. And, yeah, you know, know, two days overdue. They get induced. They go through the whole cascade of interventions. They end up with, you know, epidural and pitocin and a fetal decelerations and an emergency C-section. And thank God that was there. And blah blah blah. And then they sit down and they think about their, their experience and they, it was a horrible experience. So, you know, I know we've talked about my, my tendency to see a lot of VBAC patients or vaginal birth after cesarean patients who come to me simply because their first birth uh, story was traumatic or traumatic for them. And I think that that's part of it. I think that people hear this stuff and then people are looking at alternatives and at least they're inquiring about it. And, you know, we've always said home birth isn't for everyone, but choice you know this is one of my mantras is that choice is for everyone and so informed choice is something that women have to have and they're not getting informed choice in the conventional medical model they're getting skewed and consent and they're getting information that is sort of what the doctor wants to feed them or what the doctor knows or they're getting know. bullied well women are getting bullied they are getting bullied and and i think that women are you know are starting to pick up and you know home births are beginning to increase and you know ultimately as they do in europe the best systems are where they have midwives 
dealing with all the normal births and doctors come in and take care of the problems and they have you know c-section rates that are less than half of what ours are 35 percent of women in some of these countries are delivering outside of the hospital even higher it's in certain places and they're having those options and then and you look at the countries where they're starting to restrict that and take it away and you see the rates of interventions the rates of inductions the rates of c-sections the rates of satisfaction are all going in the wrong direction adiola you mentioned a moment ago that women are being bullied is in in your view i have friends who had a baby at home and uh, I was talking to uh, dad in this case, and he said, Brian, you would be amazed. He said, I told friends, lifelong friends, that we were having the baby at home. And the reaction was so sort of aggressive, you know, sort of an argument kind of ensued after they revealed that. And it's obviously a very sensitive issue. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I personally experienced that, um, and I got to a point where I went, when I was pregnant, I wouldn't tell anyone what my choice was because I had so many experiences where people told me, you know, don't you care about your baby? Don't you want your baby to be safe? As if the choice to give birth outside of the hospital is A, unsafe, or B, because I'm making that choice, somehow I'm stupid or don't care about my child as much as someone who goes to the hospital. But I think that part of that comes from just a lack of a lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding about how beneficial and positive out of hospital birth experience can be I guess and the, healthy and safe. The argument on the other side, people say all the time, well, wouldn't you want to have the hospital? I have a friend, uh, his wife is pregnant. He says, we're having the baby at the hospital. You know, he's heard Dr. Stu's podcast. He said, I like Dr. Stu. We're having the baby at the hospital because we just want to have that security blanket, that comfort of knowing that it's all there in the event that someone needs it, what would you say to that, Dr. Stu? I mean, that's sort of a, a, a pretty reasonable uh, thing to say, right? I would right? say that's fine. I would say that there's nothing wrong with that choice as long as they're aware of, of what are the, you know, people always say the benefits of the hospital and the risks of home birth. But they rarely talk about the benefits of home birth and the risks at the hospital. So it would be only be fair to let them know that you have a 34% chance of having a C-section. This is your first baby by just entering the, by walking through the hospital doors as a first-time mom, the C-section rate in Southern California is around 33, 34%. And right. go ahead. three of the top five contributors to maternal mortality after childbirth or during childbirth are directly related to C-section. So it's not as if... You know, it's a 100% foolproof, safe environment or way to give birth. There are risks associated with birth no matter where you give birth. But the ultimate, uh, the decision about how to assess that risk should ultimately fall with the mother. And that's what leads to the best birth outcomes right. in every you, circumstance. You can, you can see why I, I love this woman. <laughs> yeah, very articulate, very eloquent. Hey, wow. I, want, I, want to get, be, I want to talk a little bit before we're going to run out of time. I want to talk a little bit about the rest of the bill. Because, you know, this sounds great for midwives, okay? But there are midwives who are very unhappy with this bill and think that maybe we should try to influence the governor to veto the bill. Adiola, what so would let's be, talk about yeah, that. Yeah, in this bill, I mean, all that we've heard about it, what could possibly be in this that a midwife would object to? So the primary concern that midwives have is that in the bill, there is a... There will be a codified definition of what constitutes normal birth. Um, midwives, when they... You know, when the legislation was passed to get midwives licensed, it says in the law that midwives are only allowed to attend normal birth. But what constitutes normal has been subject of debate and has been kind of a gray area. Now, the midwifery standards of practice, which are included in the regulations and so midwives are required to abide by, sort of identifies some of the things that are not considered normal. But there's been a clause that in um, the midwifery standards of practice that's kind of known as the waiver clause, mm. which 
midwives have interpreted as allowing them to attend births that maybe fall outside of what some might consider to be a normal birth. Um, which well, is, if I may, what would be an example of that? So, so a big one is breaches and twins. A breech baby is when the baby's not head down at the time of delivery and twins, obviously, more than one baby. Right. Um, so those are two categories that in this bill will, are defined to be outside of the scope of normal. So midwives will no longer be able to attend breech and twin births. And if they did, it's illegal. Yeah, they, so could, they could risk they, losing their license. For and that. getting arrested. So that is, you know, that's definitely a cause for concern um, among the few midwives. Well, I should say some midwives who attend breech births and twins. Um, a lot of midwives don't um, care for moms who are carrying breech babies or who have twins. Um, they'll opt out of that. They will. They'll refer the mom to to an OB because some midwives just don't feel comfortable. Just don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, but there are some who do feel comfortable doing that. And it's a very important option for some women because in almost all hospitals, if your baby's breech or if you have twins, it's an automatic C-section. The option for a natural vaginal birth is just out the window. And so, you know, if CFAM or if CAM, the California Association of Midwives, you know, had written the legislation on our own. Um, be a little different. It would be a little different. Um, but the reality of the legislative process is that it involves negotiation. Um, and the reality is that in negotiating, the strength of your negotiation relies on the power behind you. And we, again, are such a small community. We're such a small population. And we have been, the midwives in California and the families in California have been amazing and so actively engaged in this entire process and that is why the legislation looks as good as it does um but we recognize that it's that it's not perfect yeah and i would say that that you know if if breaches and twins were, were allotted the the uh opportunity to deliver vaginally in a hospital setting th this would be something that you know maybe we could all live with but the truth is as adiola said is that there's we we talked about this in a previous podcast in a city of 10 million people there's two doctors who are openly do, uh doing planned breach delivery so this is going to make breach and twins disappear and i understand that acog and and people who advocate for this are really talking about safety but sometimes safety can be used as a hammer to uh, coerce people or bend people to do what they want them to do rather than true safety because it is safer for a woman who meets certain criteria to have a vaginal birth with a breach or twins than a cesarean section. Adiola, and if they're not given that option, yeah. then, then and, and this is one of those, the part of this bill is taking one of those options away from mid midwives who want to do that. It seems to me, Adiola, one of, the, one, of the, one of the questions that Californians and people across the country, across the world, would have to ask themselves when they hear the debate about home birthing midwives, this legislation here in California, the assembly bill that we're talking about, I guess a fair question to ask out loud is, is birth, childbirth, a medical procedure? Vaginal normal childbirth is not a medical procedure and does not require medical intervention. Absolutely not. No, no, hell no, no. Can we quote you on that? Yes. No, no, hell no, no. It's a lot of no's in that answer. Right. I guess I got my answer, right? Yeah. Birth yeah. is the requirement of medical intervention in childbirth only arises if something is going on outside of the norm. Just like you don't need a doctor to die, you don't need a doctor to go to the bathroom, you don't need a doctor to deliver a baby. Women are evolutionarily programmed perfectly 
to deliver healthy babies. That's what we do. And not everyone follows the exact curve, the exact timeline that restricts what what residents and medical students are taught about birth. That if you know, oh, you go outside, you deviate from this, oh my God, something's abnormal. We've got to do something. We've got to speed it up. We've got to slow it down. We've got to do something. But that's not the way birth is. Birth, we've talked about this early on, birth is often something, if you look at other mammals, they go off quietly to a secluded place and they go by themselves and no one bothers them. And they move around and they eat and they walk around and they can lie down and stand up and do whatever they want to do. And if they're, inter- if they're interfered with, if they're frightened, they stop and they run away and only when they feel safe do they go back into labor. Birth is normal. You don't have to think about it. We've talked a little briefly in the past about I, I had, you know, I've delivered two women in comas. All right. Wow. It's, it's a, it doesn't require your neocortex. It requires your primitive brain, which functions, you know, teach, you don't have to think to breathe. You don't have to think to digest. You don't have to think to go to the bathroom. Those things all happen just like birth does. The uterus will contract at term in a woman who's in a coma. Now they can't push because you can't say to a woman in a coma push, but you, you can either the baby will be eventually be expulsed or if it's, if you want, you can put a vacuum on and help the baby out. So you can do that. So Normal birth, as Adiola says, is not a medical problem. Can things go wrong? Yes, but things can go wrong in every aspect of life. And we don't necessarily treat every person who could potentially choke on a piece of meat and tell them to eat their dinner in the emergency room. I know that that's an extreme uh, example, but it's sort of the, it does make the, make the point. And midwives are trained professionals. They are experts in recognizing and understanding how normal birth unfolds. So when there's a deviation from normal, they do their job. They do whatever is necessary for the mom at home. And if home or birth center is no longer appropriate, they transfer to the hospital. And I, and I think that this bill, when it, it, when it alleviates doctors from the fears that they may have, some of the fears, it, it may make it in e- terms of liability. In terms of liability, it may make it easier for, for midwives to bring patients to the hospital. Because um, they, they, you know, sometimes they kept people home maybe a little bit longer because they, I mean, they should because they were, didn't want to go to the hospital because it was such a confrontational situation. Now, I don't think that that's going to change much. I think there's still going to be uncomfortableness when we bring a patient in from, the, from home and a doctor who's cranky or doesn't want to deal with that is on board. That's something that's going to happen anyway. But I just think that, you know, in this particular situation that it might make it easier to bring a patient in before uh, they've gone way beyond what would be considered the norm mm. because, they've, because it's, it hopefully will smooth the process out. Although there is that one aspect of the bill which talks about reporting, and maybe you could make the last comment before we finish up today a little bit about this reporting aspect. I just want to say two quick things. One is that the bill also has a provision that allows midwives to provide concurrent care. So if her client falls outside of what is defined as normal in the statute and she has to refer the person to an OBGYN, she can still provide concurrent care and can still be present at the birth. She won't be the primary provider, but she will still be able to provide support to the mom if that's what the mom wants. Just want to make that point. Um, the second, what was the second thing you just said? I think it was about um, the, the reporting. Tr- reporting. Okay. So one of the things that... Um, I would say the medical establishment's claims as their reason for being opposed to out-of-hospital birth is they say that midwives don't transport on time and that every time a a home birth transfer happens, the the mom is hemorrhaging and baby's falling out and crazy stories. It's a crisis situation. It's a crisis situation, exactly. So the bill has a new provision um, that adds a new standardized form for reporting that hospitals will report um, to the medical board and other sort of research agencies uh, 
for each tra home birth transfer that occurs. Um, the form is going to still need to be developed, but the hope and the intention behind that reporting is to gather additional and better statistics about what exactly is happening in home birth transfers um, so that hospitals are forced to acknowledge that they're happening and are no longer able to tout that, oh, it's, it always happens in crisis because the statistics are going to undermine yeah, because, that. Because claim. most of the time when we transport a patient, it's, it's essentially because they've gotten, uh, they've gotten stuck at a certain point or they just want pain relief. It's not something for, or they've ruptured their membranes yesterday and it's now been 30 hours and nothing's happening. These are not crisis situations, but those are the things that sort of get pushed on the wayside and everyone remembers the one bad case that, that came to the emergency room. That's what they talk about. It's very interesting, very informative. Adiola Adeshian. Did I get it right? Better? Better, better, better. Right, maybe, making, the maybe my next visit. Yeah, have right. Have the yeah. Per, per <laughs> time's a charm. They well, we have so much more to talk about. We could we could have kept going and, and done this for another another whole podcast. Yeah, this is very interesting. Very quickly again, what's that California Assembly Bill number? AB? AB 1308. And give us your website. You can get information about it. Thank you. Um, at www.cafamiliesformidwives.org. And it's the word. It's F-O-R, not the number four. The word F-O-R. C-A-Families4Midwives.org. Yeah, yeah and, hit, and hit the donate button. And really, it's really important because if you want to continue to have access for midwives and choices in California and the rest of the country, then you have to support. This is the way that lobbying, this is the way the government works, the, the legislative process works in this country. The, the, the bigger the, uh, the bat, the more information, the more people you get to listen to you. So we really want you to go, come forward and donate if you can to CFAM. Thank and Adiola, we will be monitoring here on the podcast. We'll be reporting back to folks on what happens with the bill if Governor Brown signs it or not. And we'll Great. love to have you back on, of course, uh, to absolutely. talk about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Stu, as always, thank you. If you have a question for Dr. Stu, ask Stu at gmail.com. Go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast. Five stars and a nice review on Dr. Stu's podcast. For Dr. Stuart Fishbein, I'm Brian Whitman. Thank you for joining us.